Amen. Please stand for tonight's scripture text for our teaching. Luke 14. Luke 14, we're going to cover verses 7 through 14. Hear now the word of God. So he told a parable to those who were invited, and he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this evening we're going to look at this section where Jesus gives a parable, and he really teaches two points, two concepts about humility, honor, and love. He's first going to teach us how we are to conduct ourselves when we're invited somewhere, and then secondly, when we host people, how we are to treat them. And so three parts to our message tonight. We're going to talk about the situation, and then we're going to talk about Jesus' exhortation to guests, and then we're going to talk about Jesus' exhortation to hosts. So a lot for everybody today. So let's begin by discussing the situation or the setup of what's going on. Now, if you remember, last week we started, Mr. Bill Roach started teaching in Luke 14, and you can see that this was after the synagogue service, the Jews would go over to someone's home and partake of typically a large meal that would sort of last all afternoon and into the evening. And Jesus, we can see, was invited to one of the Pharisee's house, not just any Pharisee, but a ruler of the Pharisees. We see that in verse 1. Now, it happened as they went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. So, Jesus was actually invited for a particular reason, and that was that they might trap him and watch him closely. So, of course, Jesus knew this. And uh, Mr. Roach described last week how Jesus healed a man and left the Pharisees with a question that they could not answer. Do you remember? He said, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they couldn't answer that. He stumped them. Now notice this is a little bit of an awkward situation. This is happening in the home of a ruler of a prominent Pharisee and uh, following that healing miracle that Jesus does, he now builds on that authority he's established and he pretty much just comes out and exhorts them as we're going to see tonight. So you can really understand from this passage the boldness of Christ and really taking positions. It's, it's something we would say is probably not 
politically correct, but Jesus put all that away. Now, one more aspect of the situation here. I want to describe the, the setup of the dinners when you'd come into a, a Pharisee's home or, or how these meals were set up. Uh, sometimes you see this at weddings, but in, in the room where the, the, the meal would be partaken of, uh, the, the tables and chairs were arranged in kind of a large U-shape, or you could think of like an elongated horseshoe shape. And towards the bottom of that curve of all the seats and tables laid out was the place of highest honor in, in the middle, as you were down here. And then to the left would be the next highest honor place or a step down, and then to the right, and then so forth, back and forth. So if you were kind of at the ends of that U of the table, you would be in the positions of the lowest table. And these were typically, they would sit on couches, I don't know, that were maybe like we would consider a modern-day couch or love seat that could seat three people, and they had tables in front of them, and that's how they would sit. The person in the middle had the highest honor, on the left the next honor, and the right the, the second down honor. So order and honor was very important, and just customary etiquette of the time. We're not super familiar with that here in America. We sort of give etiquette, but not to the level that they're familiar with. So with that in mind, let's move on to our next topic, the Lord's exhortation to the guests in verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places. So some immediate observations. Notice Jesus does something he does often. He, he sort of softens his exhortation by telling a parable. He tells a story. You know, it's, it's sort of like if you had a, some, some admonition to give, but instead you told him a story to describe the situation, and that's what Christ does here. And secondly, notice why Jesus did this. He says, he noted how they chose the place of honor. So in other words, Jesus noticed that when it came time for the, maybe the food to come out, it came time to sit down, that there was kind of an unseemly scrambling for the best seats of honor to sit down in. And Jesus had not only an etiquette lesson to teach them here, because this violation of, uh, of table decorum was embarrassing to the host, but Jesus really had a lesson to teach about a heart issue that was going on, didn't he? of what was what that he wanted to reveal to the peop, people a deeper truth than just etiquette because running to grab the seats of highest honor displayed selfishness really and conceit and pride and 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 what we have to understand that that this doesn't jump out so much at the text but if you take the whole context particularly of Luke in, in into consideration we can see this is not just a one, one incident. The Pharisees had created really a whole culture of haughtiness and arrogance, hadn't they? Devoid of love and humility. This is what Christ has rebuked them for. So Jesus was exposing not just this incident, but a whole self-oriented culture while teaching humility through it. And this environment the Pharisees had created was evident through Jesus' other teachings. You, you probably remember some places, like in Matthew 6, where Jesus said, When you go to pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners, that they may be seen by others. So the, the leaders had sort of taught the people to act this way, right? Also, he said, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, 
that their fasting may be seen by others. It's very important to be seen by others. And so it was the same here. The guests ran for the highest seats of honor so they could be seen by all as those in positions of honor. Now, the lesson or admonition that Jesus brings is is pretty straightforward. It's it's pretty clear. Don't do that. (laughs) Go to the lowest seat. But, But what's surprising is that the Pharisees and experts in the law needed this teaching. Because, I mean, they know, they knew, they knew the law. They knew the book. And uh, Pastor Swanson read in Proverbs 25, which is evident. It says right here, almost verbatim what Jesus did in Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. It's the same teaching. So, Jesus clearly provides a better approach which works to avoid embarrassment. And that's just the etiquette piece. But what was Jesus really after? The heart. The heart. That this desire would not be merely outward, but it would be an attitude from within. Jesus said, when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. And this is actually the same phrase used in Matthew 23 when Jesus tells his disciples that they must be the servants to all. So Jesus is, as he's done before, condemning the Pharisees right in their own home, right in front of them, very boldly. But he's also saying, remember that you should be humble, (laughs) that you should deny yourself, that this is how you should walk to glorify God. Speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus, you might remember, said this as well. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and fringes long, for they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces, being called rabbis by others. But you are not to be called rabbis, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted." Same words Christ uses in the Pharisee's house. So this clothing, as it says in Peter, this clothing of humility that we are to put on as Christians comes, of course, from our position in Christ, right? Being saved from the wrath of God by no work of our own, but by God himself. And the recognition that we cannot even sustain ourselves for one second except by the grace of God. That should be humbling, shouldn't it? That should render us low. You will take your next breath here in about a second and a half, and you have God to thank for it, don't you? We all do. We should be low. As Paul said, I am a prisoner of the Lord. And as James and Peter started their books, called themselves bondservants of Jesus Christ. And that's what we are. 
Humble ourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And of course, we know Christ has filled the scripture with teaching on humility. It's one of the most important recurring subjects in the entire New Testament. William Hendrickson notes how it beautifully harmonizes the doctrine of salvation by grace alone. This is so well paired with humility. Because without fear of successful contradiction, one can state that a humble trust in God and grateful eagerness to carry out his own will are stressed through the scripture, as Romans 3.27 says. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. So the connection there between humility and faith and this, this, uh, this doctrine of salvation by grace alone is so intertwined. It has to be cemented. It has to be something that we just walk in. I love that word of Peter, clothed in humility. So it's by faith that we can trust in God and be humble. Now, the downfall of prideful man is God's exaltation of the humble is is just recurring throughout Scripture. But uh, Simon uh, Kistemaker, pastor from a little while ago, died not just a few years ago, put this beautiful compilation of biblical examples together that I'd like to read to you. And so what, what he does here is he pulls biblical examples from those who exalted themselves and what happened and those who humbled themselves and what happened to them. This is just a great uh, little poem he wrote that I'd like to read to you. What happened to those who exalted themselves? Do you remember Nabal? This bread and water are my own. They're not David's, mine alone. Then his heart died, t'was like a stone. Do you remember Jezebel? Her boastful words, her lying tongue, how she was out the window flung, and then her body reduced to dung. And Nebuchadnezzar, he said, this is the place I built. His heart was with ugly pride was filled, but God intervened and his pride was killed. And Herod Agrippa, now look at him, so richly groomed and listen to him, but he's doomed. His body was by the worms was consumed. Now the other side of the picture, what happened to those who humbled themselves? First of all, Hannah. In sorrow she died not a rebel. Humbly she prayed as God could tell. He gave her little Samuel. Next Mary, the mother of Jesus. My soul doth magnify the Lord. She said her heart in full accord. With God by heaven and earth adored. Then the tax collector, the publican. In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Oh God, be merciful to me, he said. The sinner though I be. And fully justified went he. And last of all, there was Paul. His life was Christ, t'was not a dream. We're saved by grace, that was his theme. God sent his son to redeem. So God's word is just replete with example after example of how God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I would like to receive God's grace. (laughs) And probably you would too. Now, when we think of the Pharisees, it's so easy for us to criticize them, isn't it? Because we just... Jesus just pointed all of this out. But we need to be on guard over our own hearts, don't we? 
We really do. We have to be on guard for pride in our own hearts. Do we boast about the godly and sacrificial things we've done? Do we ensure others know how long we served at the soup kitchen? What a sacrifice it was to go over to that family's house and help? Or are we willing to take the lowest seat and not boast and proclaim those things? For God knows. Is there a service we can do? Can we do something and not know, not let our right hand know what our left is doing? Can we just render it as a gift and sacrifice of praise to God alone that no one would know? And the other question it begs, is there a work, some service that's below you that you could not do? Are you willing to be a servant to all? This is humility. This is the low place. This is the bondservant of Christ. This is a prisoner of the Lord. Paul exhorted Timothy in 2 Timothy 3. And uh, this is very striking of how Christians are to have a perspective and a view. And I want to read this for you. But understand this, that in the last days there will, be, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of themselves, high-minded, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. So we all need to take heed to examine our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes. Are they truly characterized by meekness, by lowliness, by, as we talked about this morning, a self-renouncing? Remember, the true godly traits of blessing are brokenness, our poverty of spirit, of mourning over our sin. These are actually the blessed hallmarks of Christians. And so this idea of humility is not just a bonus. It's not just what makes um, an amazing Christian an amazing Christian. No, this is a requisite embodiment of for our lives that we walk in, that we exist in, that we're saturated in. Because this is who we are. This is who our Lord was. Isn't, wasn't he humble? Right? I think, I think that's what it says, right? In Philippians 2, made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of, of man of a flesh, walked with men. But I think the key lesson for us today that I want to tell you is one of honor and authority. These, these things are lost quite a bit in our day. And, and I want to share, I want to compare a little bit of what's going on in our culture today. And there's, there's a notion in modern psychology or even in today's child-raising philosophy, and, and you may have heard of this. And the idea is, well, we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, so everything's equal. Little children's soccer games. Everyone wins. Everybody gets a trophy. They're told they're special all the time. They're told they can have anything they want in life just because they want it. They got into honors classes at school, not because they deserved it, but because their parents complained. And, they, and some children got A's in classes, not because they earned it, but because the teachers didn't want to have to deal with the parents. And so this has led to a generation of entitlement 
Everyone wins. Everyone gets a participation medal. You get a medal for coming in last. And all this in our culture has led to an idea of entitlement that says, no one is over me. Nobody tells me what to do. I should deserve more honor than them. And of course, being sinners in the world, if this exists in our culture, creeps into our hearts and into the church, doesn't it? So the question is, are you willing to be one under authority? Are you okay that some people in this life will receive a higher honor than you? And can you give them that honor? We need to be honest because, I mean, all of us here, I'm looking around, we're all part of this independent homeschooling kind of don't tread on me, aren't we? We're all into that. We're good with that. We like to do what we want to do. And so we have to remember our God-ordained authorities, right? Children, you're under the authority of your parents, right? But that's a blessing. It's a huge blessing. <laughs> it's an incredible blessing, right? As a, like, a, like an ornament of grace, Around your neck may be the law of your mother, is what Proverbs says. How about the authority of the church? Another tremendous blessing. If you're a member of a biblical church, God has given you elders who are keeping watch over your soul, and they actually have to give an account to God for that. That's a blessing. How about the civil magistrate? Are you under its authority? God's ministers of justice, as Romans 13 says. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist God will incur judgment. Can you submit to those who are effectively carrying out God's second use of the law to restrain evil? That's the question for us. Can we be under authority? Because if not, we're just like those guests who ran to the places of honor. Right? Can you be under authority, or do you push against it? You want to do things on your own terms. Or can you say, I am under authority. And I will walk under God's ordained authorities for me. And sometimes, I'll be honest, I've heard this. uh, Those of us that are business owners, self-employed, we can get proud. We can say, I have no boss. I don't work for another man. Of course, the silliness in that is, Every client you have is your boss. <laughs> but, but we can get this way. We, we can get this sort of independent rising up. So let us take heart and give honor where honor is due and take the lowly seat. Well, back to the Pharisee's home in Luke 14. Jesus' call to humility was not just for the guests, but also he had a message for the hosts. Anyone ever been a host and had someone over to your house here? Everybody! I know everybody in this room has. So let's see the Lord's exhortation to the host in verse 12. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brother, your relatives, your rich neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the the poor, the maim, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus' main instruction here is that we, we should be thoughtful about who we invite. He's not saying you can't invite 
your friends and relatives. You're saying that's okay. But don't invite with a heart attitude. Don't invite someone because you're going to get something back. Right? Don't, don't invite for reciprocal reasons. As Christ said in Matthew 5, if you love the one who loves you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? So if the hosts invited people of a class and had of resources like himself, he knows he'll effectively receive his reward when they invite him over one day. But if, if he invites over those who are financially and socially unable to invite him over one day, then his reward will be paid by God himself at the time of the resurrection. Now, this is the same attitude that we see portrayed at the end of James chapter 1, isn't it? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's the same thing, right? Serving orphans and widows displays genuine faith and purity of heart, because they can't pay you back. You're just giving. You are truly giving with true love and true sincerity of heart, because you're not going to return anything, get anything in return. But God knows. God knows, and God sees, and will bless you accordingly. Now, of course, Jesus proclaimed this in one of his more revolutionary statements, as it were, in Matthew 25, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you you who are blessed by my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did you see a stranger and welcome you, or clothed and naked? When did you see a sick in prison or visit you? And the king will answer him, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to the one of least of these brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil of his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and you did not visit me. And again, we live and do good works never with this thought of reciprocity. We are bought with a price. We are made new in Christ, no longer to serve ourselves, but to serve our God and that which he brings us to and those he brings us to interact with. So to apply this message today and remembering the Lord's teaching on humility, engaging, serving with a pure heart of love, I think we need to ask ourselves, who do we invite over to our house? The poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind? And I think the first question would be, do I know any poor, crippled, lame, blind people to invite over? (laughs) It's going to be hard if I don't. 
Because, see, they were surrounded by these kind of people, weren't they? Are we willing to get messy and engage life with the least of these? Can we give up the abundance we all have to some of those who have nothing? Where's our mindset in approaching these questions? Again, from Philippians 2, I'll read it more clearly now. Because Jesus is talking about a mindset, right? What is our mindset? You see, lame, crippled, blind, naked person. What, do you, what's the, what, what is our mind? What happens in our mind? Here's, here's what he tells us. Philippians 2.5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Is reputation driving you? What others think of you? Is that important to you? Or can you be humble as Christ was, taking the form of a bondservant? For, for that's what we are. Right? As, as, as James starts his letter, James, a bondservant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. For we are not our own. That old man is gone. We don't feed him, serve him, build up his reputation anymore. We are God's. And therefore we see ourselves as the end of 2 Corinthians 5 says, ambassadors of Christ, Christ's love, Christ's hope, pouring out, Christ's sacrificial giving. It's not about us, it's about Him. May our lives reflect Christ so much that all people see when they look at us and when they come to our house and when they receive things from us is they think of Christ and they see Christ. Like John Piper says, we're reflectors of His grace. Just be reflectors. So may we take hold of this exhortation of Christ, striving to grow in humility and love so that we may glorify him. For life does not consist in positioning ourselves to receive honor. For by humility and the fear of the Lord, that's riches and honor and life, isn't it? Therefore, let us cherish the words of God and make them our standing tonight. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Don't humble yourselves in the sight of men. Don't worry about that. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Don't humble yourself in the sight of the Lord so that men will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for bringing us this quickening word to our hearts. Because we all know we need to grow in humility and love and respecting honor. Oh, God, give us the mind of Christ on this. Renew us. Transform us. That we may react. That we may respond. That our motivations our perceptions, our perspectives may be in alignment with you, God, with a humble state, with a giving up of our lives 
for your glory. It's in your name we pray, amen.